from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. While it should be clear that in recovery is a process rather than a moment, the way employers have looked at would-be workers who are in the midst of overcoming addiction and substance use disorders has often missed that critical distinction. Thanks to initiatives like Missouri's recovery-friendly workplaces, however, employers are understanding the benefits of adjusting policies, practices, and cultures to make their companies more hospitable to employees in recovery. Benefits that promote bottom lines and people's health and livelihoods. Buddy's Manufacturing in Union, Missouri is the third business in the state to receive the recovery-friendly workplace designation. Earlier today, our producer Emily Woodbury spoke with Kyle Kinsey, a raw material handler for Buddy's. Kyle has been in recovery from fentanyl and methamphetamine for more than two years. He applied to Buddy's one and a half years ago because he heard it was okay to be open about your recovery there. And he said he's received support from managers on things like taking an appointment during the day or promotions without discrimination. I mean, I got a promotion fairly quickly here, and I was thankful for that, um, for being open, for me being open about my past. Um, you know, they were willing to give me a chance to uh, move up in the company, and it was uh, very surprising how fast it was. Kyle said that he's especially grateful for having the understanding of his fellow workers that the person working next to him has a better sense of what he might be going through in his recovery. Sometimes it's stressful and thinking process is uh, different, but I know that I need to stop thinking that way. So I talked to another recovering addict and um, they they understand how, how, how we think. And uh, from the program, we have these sayings and communication phrases and uh, it actually gets a lot it calms me down when someone else understands what I am feeling. John Yon is a quality assurance manager at Buddy's Manufacturing. He said that the family who owns Buddy's is invested in providing people second chances whether they're coming from prison or rehabilitation centers. John said he's seen a lot of benefit to hiring people in recovery. A lot of times these guys come in and they're more willing to do things and work. Um, They're trying, like I said, to get their life back together. Um, And they're some of the hardest working people that we get in. And they have, um, you know, a lot to lose. Uh, They don't want to go back to doing what they were doing. Some of them are trying to get their kids back. You know, there's court and stuff. These guys are doing everything they can to turn their life around, and uh, they've been fantastic workers. Joining me in studio to talk about the initiative created to help more employers and employees benefit from fantastic work and workers is John Gall, director for the Missouri Works Initiative Worker Wellness Program, who's also former director of training and workforce development for the St. Louis, Kansas City Carpenters Regional Council. Welcome. Thank you very much. And also, Anne McCauley, Director of Missouri's Recovery-Friendly Workplace Initiative and uh, ROTA, 
the Rural Opioid Technical Assistance Project Manager. Um, she also works in community health and engagement outreach. And welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. And when did the Recovery Friendly Workplace Initiative get its start? It's actually in its third year, but it began before that with a group of people who work for the University of Missouri Extension who began to address some local needs in local communities to help employers who were hiring people in recovery and to address the workplace shortage. When they started out with a couple of small meetings, it was they were well attended and there were so many people asking for help in such a wide audience that it became evident that this was a bigger problem than initially thought and Extension began to work on ways to solve it. Um, a grant was written a couple of years ago. We are in the third year of the grant operation and the grant was written to fund a recovery-friendly workplace, and it actually was funded, and as I said, we're halfway through the third year. Now, in our introduction of you, I mentioned a couple of other things. How did your past work prepare you to serve as director of this particular initiative? Well, I actually had worked in a community college. My master's degree is in higher education, and I have a sister who has since passed away. And when she was 65 years old, she had knee replacement surgery and was given an unbelievable amount of opioids to help mm. with the pain. Our family didn't think anything of it, but after a year, she became addicted. And um, I'm about 10 years younger than she is. And I decided that once we got her through this, I was going to try to pursue a career that where I could help other families who had gone through similar problems. I found myself at a job in a, at a regional pro, uh, program in Northeast Missouri, and I became the director of the Rural Opioid Grant there. That position was a segue into this job and led me here at City University. Now, John, you too are a director, and your work is with the Worker Wellness Program for Missouri Works the nonprofit sponsored, that is, and supported by the AFL-CIO. We had uh, Jay Kummel in just a, a couple weeks ago. That's right. Why is there a natural fit between recovery-friendly workplaces and Missouri Works, which is dedicated to workforce development in skilled and building trades? Well, that's a good question. Uh, most importantly, the work that I specifically do is uh, for worker wellness. And... Um, that wellness is not just about the physical aspects of safety on the job site. It's also about the mental aspects. And we have uh, made it uh, a, a prime target to make sure um, that we work these two aspects together um, and not uh, try to separate the two. Um, the bottom line is when we're, when we're dealing with a person, we deal with the whole person. You can't just deal with one or the other aspect. Mm -hmm. And um, we have seen uh, more and more of our apprentices and journey workers um, having issues related to uh, substance use disorder and opioid use disorder uh, because the nature of the work they do in the construction uh, trades. Now, before you responded to this question, Anne had talked about 
um, opioid addiction um, as part of her personal background to, to getting into the work that is, uh, is underway right now. And construction workers are disproportionately prone to opioid addiction as well as mental health disorders. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Sure. If, if you look at the data that comes from um, the research arm of the, of the uh, North American uh, Building Trade Unions, which is called CPWR, um, you'll find that uh, one in three construction workers uh, have injuries from the work they do, and most of those people are prescribed opioids, uh, in fact, at three times higher rate than other workers in other industries uh, with work-related injuries. Um, it, it's, it's also a known fact that one in five construction workers uh, do have a, a drug misuse uh, disorder. Um, we also know that uh, with regards to construction workers, they're six to seven times more likely to die of an overdose uh, than workers in other industries. Um, and just a couple, a couple other issues that, that, you know, related to employers. Employers spend uh, more than $8,800 uh, per employee for untreated uh, drug uh, uh, misuse and addiction. And then finally, uh, also from an employer standpoint, we, we know that uh, when, when workers are uh, on the job and they do not treat their, their drug misuse issues, on average, they, they lose about 29 days of work per year compared to uh, about 11 days for the, uh, the other employees on the, on the site. And we heard earlier from Kyle Kinsey, who spoke about working in a place that understands what he is going through, and that includes not only those who are in supervisory positions, but those who are next to him. What did you hear in that clip from Kyle Kinsey? Um, and about how much is peer-to-peer is -peer support, um, something that's meaningful for uh, an employing recovery? Uh, that's a, a really good question because uh, if you talk to uh, people uh, in this town, you'll know that peer-to-peer uh, uh, -peer support is a project that I'm, I'm, I'm really working hard on right now. Um, what we're seeing in, in reports and uh, uh, different uh, articles is that peer-to-peer uh, -peer support uh, is actually having better outcomes than peer-to-professional. And when I you know, say professional, I'm talking about counselors and therapists and so on. Um, we know there are programs in other areas, um, such as Mates and Construction down in Australia, that does a great job with peer-to-peer -peer support uh, with regards to suicide prevention on the construction job site. We know there are programs like that, uh, uh, like the Lean program with the laborers up in uh, Massachusetts. These are all having great outcomes. We're really pushing hard to implement one of those here uh, in the St. Louis area, and and one of the major trade unions is about ready to 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 kick uh, that off right now. So what I heard uh, is that. Uh, it's really important that this is a top-down, bottom-up approach. You, you need to make sure you have uh, support from management first off. And then management needs to show that they care mm -hmm. and that people are not going to be penalized. In fact, we're going to probably do, go out of our way to ensure that all workers are heard 
and uh, they have an opportunity. Um, life is typically not fair for any of us, and um, only giving people uh, one chance or two chances is probably not enough in today's world. And, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that uh, he's getting support from supervisors as well as his, as his, uh, his uh, fellow employees. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation about recovery-friendly workplaces. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Now back to our conversation about recovery-friendly workplaces. John, before the break, you were talking about peer-to-peer support, um, and that gets to the the labor workforce. How has the labor shortage played into increased awareness of all of this around um, the benefits um, of recovery-friendly workplace environments? Well, I could tell you that... Um when Dr. Doug Swanson uh, launched uh, the beginning of this program, and I was working alongside with him, uh, we needed data uh, to move forward. And we, we uh, um, with the help of uh, the other uh, investigators of, of, the, of the project, uh, decided it was wise to reach out to the Missouri Chamber of Commerce and use their network to launch a survey um, Eventually, we, we got about, uh, about 616 uh, employers across the entire state to, to uh, provide uh, data um, with regards to this issue. And I can tell you uh, as well is that one of the professors at the time at, at uh, Mizzou, uh, Mark White, uh, was doing a study, and he was looking at the number of people who are in medicine-assisted treatment for opioid use disorder um, and were willing to go back to work. And what he found was we had over 29,000 workers in the state of Missouri in that category. So what was of interest to me was he further uh, disaggregated that number and found that the 3,800 of that 29,000 we're construction workers. So that's big because we have all our contractors and, and most of our labor unions and their apprenticeship programs uh, really wanting employees. And so we're going to have to figure out ways uh, to safely bring those individuals who want to go back to work in construction on the job site. Now, Anne, um, we noted earlier that Buddy's Manufacturing in Union, Missouri is the third business in the state to receive the recovery-friendly workplace designation. Um, what are the other two and where are they located? The first business to receive the recovery-friendly workplace designation is in Bolivar, Missouri, and it is Citizens Memorial Hospital. And if I can say they credit the recovery-friendly workplace designation with addressing the workplace shortage they were facing prior to receiving that. The second business was a quarry at Tower Rock Stone, and Tower Rock Stone is a national quarry, and their safety officer actually was in recovery. And we asked Tower Rock, is there a problem 
for businesses who hire people in recovery and that safety may become an issue. And they quickly answered, our safety manager is in recovery and we've won the National Safety Award for our industry five years in a row. Mm. So that was a wonderful answer. And since we did um, talk, since we originally spoke with you, we've now certified three more businesses. Oh, sure. We certified AM, AM Solutions and Landscaping in Jefferson City, Missouri. And they cover the entire central Missouri area. They do landscaping and outscaping. We certified um, a very big company in Kansas City last week, Ace Pipe Company. They have contracts all over Missouri to provide the infrastructure for piping. The city of Columbia is one of their contracts. They were designated last Friday. And then we were in the midst of, he's finished the process. We're about to go down there, but we're in the midst of designating a recovery center in Branson, Missouri. Wow, so the, the work that you have put in is is bearing some fruit in, in pretty short order. Um, one of the things that you do, Anne, is to participate in and lead community listening sessions. Um, clearly, people who are in positions to hire and make changes at their company um, they're hearing what you all have to say. But what are some of the other concerns that employers have about hiring people who are in recovery? We've heard concerns from everything that employers will say, well, what if they have an overdose in our workplace? Uh, what if they relapse and they begin using again? What if they steal? And our studies and our training with the companies that have received designation has shown that these things are not true. We do, we do understand that relapse is possible, and we have a lot of companies that we've designated that have changed their policies to allow for someone who needs treatment to seek the treatment, and they'll hold their position while they're in treatment. But the majority of the companies that we have worked with have actually promoted the employees they've hired that are in recovery. And they say that those are the very best employees they have, partly because they appreciate the second chance, partly because they really want to prove something this time. They want to show that they can do it. And they are so dedicated to their sobriety that a lot of employees, and employees, these are workers, have shared with us that they credit the ability to maintain their sobriety to their job. That if they didn't have the position they had, it would be much more difficult to remain in recovery. Mm -hmm. John, I want to go back to the labor shortage because what Anne is talking about, I think, is is a way to encourage people to think about entering the job market or uh, to enter in a particular way that they may not have thought about before. How much does the tight labor market incentivize employers to open their doors to and support new employees in this way? I think uh, it's pretty much a natural. Uh, A number of our employers over the past decade have uh, opened their eyes and opened their doors uh, towards uh, initiatives that they may not have considered 15 or 20 years ago, such as uh, uh, working with uh, 
the state prison and the federal prisons and, and bringing formerly incarcerated people into the fold. Um, and what we find is sometimes those individuals uh, have uh, you know, substance use disorders themselves as well as opioid use disorders. Um, you know that uh, a couple of weeks ago you uh, did a program with the, the Bud people on yes, here. Yes, Building and Union Diversity. That's right. Yeah. And so that group, ha I, I know this because I go in and teach uh, the mental health piece for them. And to that end, I, I know there are individuals in those programs who come up to me afterwards and thank me for talking about issues of suicide prevention, issues of opioid awareness, uh, because that's around them, and they and they they need to know they're supported. And I think we've seen more and more of not just the contractors and the management associations, the unions and the apprenticeship schools stepping forward, realizing. Um, that we need to uh, break the silence uh, about these taboo topics because if we break that silence, then we start chipping away at the stigma. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge issue right here is stigma. And to that point about stigma, there is stigma that exists around uh, drug use, around recovery um, from any substance use disorder. And you mentioned um, a couple of them here. That is lessening, but what effects does stigma still have? And what do you want people in hiring positions to consider apart from some of the things that you've already laid out about um, you know, what you and, and Anne have observed about um, folks in recovery and their productivity? Well, we, we know uh, that, uh, and we've heard it just earlier, uh, first person, loyalty is is a big issue, and and um, so this this second opportunity, this third opportunity that they get, we all know that that uh, recovery is not a straight line. Um, people are are going to um, have issues, and and we need support systems in place to deal with those issues. Um, and I think again. When you create safe spaces to talk about these tough topics, that's the that's one of the first steps that actually allows us to to uh, again chip away at the the issue of stigma. I know for uh, a fact, uh, talking to a, a number of the uh, people who are in recovery, who are back in uh, the workplace. Um, it's really amazing to catch them on the street when they're not on the job site and them to t share stories with you about how they've helped other people. That's, again, so it's an informal peer-to-peer. -peer. We need to formalize that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will be helpful uh, to, the, to the contractors in the industry because um, the bottom line is the, the, the People who are coming into the industry, into the workforce now, uh, are not the same uh, types of people we had 30 and 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. We have to adjust and adapt and adopt. And and I and um, uh, it's it's a blessing to see uh, that Ann and Doug have just picked up three new certifications because. If one thing I've learned from working with business is that a lot of them are not necessarily first movers, but once you show them that there are others out there doing this, that they'll use them as a model. 
and and that that will move them towards uh, the direction that we we hopefully that you know, we hope that they will move it. Mm-hmm. Now, and the bottom line. Um, idiomatically is the the thing that is most important but these are businesses that we're talking about when it comes to retaining employees what is the average cost of retaining an, retaining an employee and how does that play into conversations you have with business owners who are considering becoming a recovery friendly workplace the average cost varies by industry and company But what we are hearing is that the costs are much higher to let someone go who's in recovery because they may have relapsed or because they're doubtful about their potential and to hire someone new. When we worked with Tower Rockstone, they had an employee who had worked for them for years and he entered recovery. He he tested positive for a drug. And they were speaking about what do we do? Do we fire him? And they did a study of their costs, and they determined that it would cost them double to hire someone new and train them than it would to let the employee who tested positive go into treatment and hold his position. And so someone in the company said, but what about our policies? Our policies don't allow for that. And one of the managers said, we'll rewrite them. And they rewrote their policies, and they experienced such phenomenal success with this employee, now a safety leader, and he's one of the reasons that they won the National Safety Award five years in a row. So the costs are negated if you hold a position versus fire someone and refill the position because the cost of advertising, the cost of interviews, and the cost of new employee training overrides any costs that come from holding a position. Now, the thing that we'd like to close with has to do with opioid use disorder specifically. Opioid use disorder, or OUD, is officially recognized now as a disease. John, does the ADA, or uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, provide protections for people in recovery who are looking for jobs? Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I will tell you that uh, the Society for Human Resource Management is uh, very clear on this matter. They said that uh, uh, people who have stopped uh, illegally using drugs should not face discrimination in the workplace, uh, especially if they are accessing evidence-based treatment on their path towards recovery. You know, the thing here is that we, we uh, need to realize that uh, uh, there's guidance, you know, that, uh, from, from the Department of Justice, and we need to uh, understand that uh, the businesses with 15 or more employees uh, should contact their, their attorneys and, and, and discuss this matter because... Um, It's important that when someone has um, a disability, uh, under the ADA, employers need to make certain accommodations. So um, I just want to put that out there, um, and I I hope that uh, we can uh, accommodate those individuals as they're on their journey towards recovery. John Gall is the director. Uh, Yes, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, if I could just add, as John said, addiction is considered a disability, but the reason it is is because it's an impairment that affects the brain and neurological functions. And because of that, it is an ADA-protected disability, and an employer may not discriminate against someone who has a history of addiction as long as they're in recovery. Thank you for making that final note. Uh, That was Anne McCauley, Director of Misery's Recovery-Friendly Workplace Initiative and Director of the Rural Opioid Technical Assistance, or ROTA, project, and John Gall, the Director of the Missouri Works Initiative Worker Wellness Program. Anne and John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.